Well, we welcome you to our worship service this morning. It's a delight to see you here. It's good to look out and see Ben here, which is an answer to prayer. All right. I hear you to stay off jet skis from now on or something like that. But <laughs> it's good to see you and uh, you're doing so well and smiling this morning. Uh, on the back of your bulletins are the announcements. Uh, we will have lunch together, and then following lunch, there'll be an afternoon service. A prayer meeting on Wednesday night will be on Zoom, so keep that in mind. You'll see the announcements about next Sunday. So those are pretty well uh, self explanatory. Well, now, as we worship our God together, I want to quote from Hosea. Hosea 6 and verse 6, and we read there. For I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice, and in knowledge of God rather than burnt offering. Hosea reminds us that that God doesn't delight in simply us showing up and simply engaging in so-called religious exercises without a heart, without sincerity. He longs for people who are genuine, faithful, merciful, and who desire to carry out His will in their lives. So as we worship God, we're delighted you're here, and we pray that we will worship God together, but we pray that our worship would be marked by sincerity, genuineness, to exalt our great God together. Would you just take a moment... And ask God to examine your heart and to help you to worship him aright this morning. Inside your bulletin is the call to worship. It comes from 1 Kings chapter 8. It is Solomon's benediction after the ark has been brought into the temple representing the very presence of God. And notice with this benediction what his heart's cry is, especially 
there towards the end of this passage. Let all, let our hearts be wholly devoted to the Lord our God. May that be our prayer. May we have hearts that are fully, completely devoted to Almighty God. Will you stand with me and let us call one another to worship with this passage of Scripture. Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to His people Israel according to all He has promised, which He has promised through Moses His servant. and to keep his commandments as at this day. Well, now let us lift our voices in praise to God, taking the hymns of grace, hymn book, the hymns of grace, number seven, sing praise to the Lord, number seven in the hymns of grace. Thank you for 
bringing here this morning and giving us voices that we can sing praise unto you. You are worthy, and you alone are worthy for what you have done on our behalf. Um, our salvation accomplished through the Lord Jesus. You determined to do the Father's will, and you went uh, to that cross. Um, you saw the satisfaction, or the you saw the travail of your soul, and were satisfied. And we don't know what to say for these things, but other thank you, Lord Jesus, and we praise you for it. Come and meet with us this day, and do us good. Help us, give us the strength to hear your word and to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. To have a heart that's wholly devoted to the Lord, there are many things that would seek to distract us from that, and we need to be constantly watching and praying. And that's what we sing about next. In the Trinity Hymn Book, 471, 471 Christians seek not yet repose. Cast thy dreams of ease away. Thou art in the midst of foes. Watch and pray. Four, 471 in the Trinity Hymn Book.
excuse me, our consecutive reading through the scriptures today brings us back to Matthew 26, where we'll pick up at verse 36. The, this passage is set in the immediate context of Peter and all the disciples telling the Lord Jesus that they would not deny or betray him or desert him. Unfortunately, they did. Starting here at verse 36, Jesus begins to be alone. He's going to go the rest of the way to the cross and death alone. His disciples are going to sleep on him. One will betray him. One will deny him, and they will all desert him. And that is uh, that sets a, a table for what we're going to read today. But that, if he, if if salvation is to be accomplished, if the Lord Jesus is to do the will of the Father, he must do it alone. We had no part of it. So that causes us, if we're the redeemed, to bless the Lord Jesus and to thank him that he had the resolve to do what he had to do. And if you're not one of the redeemed here this morning, we're talking about the issues of eternal life and eternal um, destruction here. Please look upon the Lord Jesus this day and call upon his name. Okay, Matthew 26, verse 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping, and said to Peter, So you men could not watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Then he went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. While he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, came up accompanied by a large crowd with swords and clubs who came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he was who was betraying him, gave them a sign, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. 
Immediately, Judas went to Jesus and said, Hail, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you have come for. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus reached and drew his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back in its place, for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father? And he will at once put out at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels. How then will the scripture be fulfilled which say that it must happen this way? And at that time Jesus said to the crowds, Excuse me. <coughs> and at that time, sorry, I gotta find my place. And at that time, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would against a robber? Every day I used to sit in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures of the prophets. Then all the disciples left and fled. Those who had seized Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were gathered together. But Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest and entered in and sat down with the officers to see the outcome. Now the chief priest and the whole council kept trying to obtain false testimony against Jesus so that they might put him to death. They did not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward. But later on, two came forward and said, This man stated, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. The high priest stood up and said to him, do you not answer? What is it that these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has blasphemed. What further need do we have of witnesses? Behold, you have now heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They answered, He deserves death. Then they spat in his face and beat him with their fists, and others slapped him and said, Prophet, Sigh to us, you Christ, who is the one who hit you? Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him and said, You too were with Jesus of the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you're talking about. When he had gone out to the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said to those who were with him, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. A little later the bystanders came up and said to Peter, 
Surely you too are one of them, for even the way you talk gives you away. Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word what Jesus had said, Before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. This morning as we seek our God to gather in prayer, once again we want to remember the ministry there in the Far East. and think especially of Tom and Beverly Kapir and their labors there for many years. They're now back in the States, and I'm not sure when or if they will be returning back to China. But they did leave with the Grace Covenant Church there in China, and especially with Pastor Danielle. And they mentioned our need to pray for this, this congregation. It's very difficult to meet in the city with a large number, and by large number, I think anything over 100. And so they have to make their way every Sunday to the mountain, and they meet up in the mountain. And there, there's still uncertainty as with regard to their safety. But we pray that God would use them for the advancement of his kingdom there in that place. So let us seek our God together, praying especially for them this morning. Our Father in heaven, how we give you thanks for your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we're thankful for his willingness to go to the cross. And though he could have called for legions of angels to come and rescue him, he came to do the will of his Father. And the will of his Father was that he might give his life as a ransom for many. And how thankful that many of us here this morning are for the very reality that Jesus Christ took our place, that he took the punishment that we deserved in order that we might know the forgiveness of sin. And we thank you for your acceptance of that substitute that is demonstrated in the very reality that three days later he conquered death and rose from the dead. And how we give you thanks that we can have peace with God, that we can be reconciled with you through the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that as the people of God, we would not be ashamed of that gospel. For it's the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. We pray for our brothers and sisters who do not have the liberties and the freedoms that we enjoy this morning of being able to come together without fear of, of disruption or government intervention. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters that as they meet together, that you will watch over them, keep them safe. We pray for Pastor Daniel, that, Father, you would give him help. We know that he is tired. Father, how we pray that the joy of the Lord may be his strength in these days and that you will use this church and this congregation to spread the gospel throughout that country. Father, we pray for those who have recently desired to commit themselves to that assembly. And we pray that as they are added to the number, that, Father, you would be pleased to use that congregation for their good and use them for the good of that congregation. Father, we pray as well this morning, once again, for our nation. 
We are often grieved by what we hear and see. We are often grieved by the lawlessness that seems to be rampant in our days. Certainly, as you described the guilty world in which we live in, we see that taking place before us. There is no fear of God before their eyes. The mouth is full of cursing and bitterness, and even their feet are swift to shed innocent blood. And so, Father, in light of those things, how we would pray for Your mercy. We would pray that, Father, You would have pity on us as a country, that You would bring us to repentance. We do give You thanks for the courage and the wisdom You gave to the Supreme Court in overturning Roe versus Wade. And, and yet, Father, abortions will still be rampant far too many, far too often. And Father, we pray that we might sanctify life. It is You who gives life and only You who can take it away. And therefore, Father, may, may we have courage to stand for what is right in evil days. Father, we would also this morning be mindful of those who are not able to be with us because of affliction. And Father, we pray that You would draw near to them. Some perhaps are watching by live stream. And we would pray that, Father, the ministry of the Word of God would be beneficial to them this morning. Raise them up from these afflictions, we pray. But as Your will is done, may Your name be glorified. So meet with us. We pray that Your Spirit would come among us and use Your Word to do us good. As we ask these things in Christ's name, Amen. Now before we come to open the Word of God, let's take our hymn books, the Trinity hymn books, turning to number 400. 400 in your Trinity hymn book, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, Tune My Heart to Sing Thy Grace. 400. Let's stand together as we sing.
may be seated. Deuteronomy chapter 13. Deuteronomy chapter 13. We will be looking at the whole chapter, but let me begin by just reading one verse. Deuteronomy 13 and verse 4, we read these words. You shall follow the Lord your God and fear Him. You shall keep His commandments and listen to His voice and serve Him and cling to Him. Moses is instructing the children of Israel with regard to their conduct, their life, and their actions once they have entered into the promised land. And part of that instruction comes to them by way of the Ten Words or the Ten Commandments. And He has set those ten words before them once again. And now He is expounding those ten words. And we listened as He reminded us that we are to have no other gods before Jehovah. There is to be exclusive devotion to Jehovah. And then we listened as Moses went on to instruct the reality that Jehovah is worthy to be worshipped. But He is to be worshipped as He reveals He is to be worshipped. He's not to be worshipped by what you think or how you feel, but He is to be worshipped by what or how He has revealed His worship. And therefore, the word was, you shall not make for yourselves an idol in the likeness of what is in the heaven above or the earth beneath or the water under the earth, you shall not worship them or serve them. You're not to use your imagination in serving and worshiping Jehovah, Yahweh. Well, this morning as we come to chapter 13, and it will move on to chapter 14, Moses is giving instruction concerning that third commandment. The third commandment simply is, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. And oftentimes when we come to this third commandment, we think that this is a commandment for the unconverted. This is a commandment for the unchurched. Because when we read, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord in vain, that means you're not to use His name as a curse word. You're not to use His name frivolously. And certainly we as church people would never do that. And therefore, this commandment really has no relevance for the church, but only for those heathen unconverted folks out there. But when we really come to understand what the third commandment is about, it's about this. We're not to use who God is and all that He is 
and in an empty way. That word vain means with emptiness. And what he's saying is that as we approach God, and as we live for God and seek to serve God, we need to do so genuinely, sincerely. He, he doesn't want us to come and enter into a relationship with Him that is simply external, that is simply going through the motions. We, we come to church. God must be pleased. Here I am. I'm taking a Sunday, a few hours on Sunday, and I'm in church. God must be pleased. But God wants our whole hearts. He doesn't want us to be hypocritical. He doesn't want us to be false or insincere in our relationship to Him. He wants us to be the real thing. Let me illustrate it this way. A few years ago at Christmas time, we were unwrapping gifts. And one of my children were not there, but his gifts were there. And I got his present, and I unwrapped it. And when I unwrapped it, it was one of those Alexises. Is that what they're called? You know, you speak to, you know. And I looked at the box, and I said, wow, we didn't have one? That's, that's really nice. Okay. And then I set it aside. And then we finished opening Christmas presents. It was probably a day or two later that I thought, I ought to look at that and see how it works. I mean, I'm not le electronically inclined. So I picked up the box and I looked at it. And then I opened it up. And inside the box was a T-shirt. A T-shirt. The outside was deceptive to what was inside. Now, it was a nice T-shirt. It probably cost less than the Alexis. I don't know. But it wasn't what I thought it was. And that's what God says with regard to our relationship to Him. You see, we can be very good at putting on a show. We, we can be very good at looking, quote-unquote, religious on the outside, but, but on the inside, there's something completely different. And Moses is warning the children of Israel, when you go into that land, you guard your heart and make sure you're... Your, your relationship, your walk with God is sincere and genuine. Don't play games when it comes to your relationship with me. And many of us can be guilty of that very thing. We can make people think that we're something we're not. Just by the way we behave ourselves or certain language that we use or even with certain places that we go. Moses is challenging the people of Israel to guard their hearts lest they fall away 
from God. We find that warning again and again and again in the Scripture. For example, one, one of the warnings of many warnings given to us in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12, writing to those who profess to be Christians, the writer of Hebrews says, Take care, brethren, that there be not, that there be, not be found in any of you an evil heart of unbelief that falls away from the living God. Take heed, brethren. He's, he's talking to professing Christians. And he says, brethren, take heed that you don't find your heart rising up with unbelief that leads you away from God. It's, it's an imperative that calls the reader constantly and continually, honestly examine his own heart. The writer of Hebrews knew that if we don't watch our own hearts, we could fall away. Now, he doesn't do that so that we might rise up and doubt, am I a Christian? No, he does that so that we would take heed, that we would stand, that, that we seek to maintain a sincere, genuine relationship with God. And as we come to chapter 13 of Deuteronomy, Moses is expressing the same concern in this passage. He was concerned that when they went into the promised land, they would be carried away by other things and remove themselves from the place of safety, from the place of safety. Remember back in chapter 12 and verse 30, Moses says these words, Beware that you are not ensnared to follow them. That them is false gods and false people and false prophets. Be beware that, that you don't follow them. That you're not ensnared. That word ensnared means to be entrapped. To be carried away from a place of safety. Beware that you don't fall away from God. Now one might ask a question. Why is that even a concern? God has been so good to these people. They've eaten manna from heaven. They've watched the Red Sea depart. Some of them watched the Red Sea depart and walk through on dry ground. They saw how God had provided for them with a pillar of, of fire and a cloud to lead them and direct them. God had been so faithful to them. How in the world would they ever walk away from such a God? How could they ever be enticed to leave their God and go after the gods of other nations? Why was such a warning needed to be given to these people? Does that make any sense? Why would they need to be warned? And the answer to that question is because of the heart. The heart has a proneness to wander off. The, the, the heart has a proneness to walk away. And you see this morning as we've gathered in this place... 
my concern isn't that some of you might rise up tomorrow and decide to worship Buddha. I don't think that's going to happen. My, my concern for you this morning isn't that some of you are going to rise up and decide to worship Baal. Or that some of you, as soon as you leave here this morning, are going to go to your workshop and begin to chisel out some item that you will now refer to as your God and, and begin worship. That's not my concern this morning. But my concern is this. Knowing my own heart, how often have we thought about walking away from God? How often have we thought about leaving the one who has been so good to us? I mean, throughout the Scriptures, we're warned about that over and over again because God knows what our hearts are really like. Notice, as God warns them, He tells them in verse 3, God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your souls. To think about walking away from God makes no sense, but it is a reality of an unguarded heart. Walking away from God is a reality of an unguarded heart. And we see it in the Scriptures, we've seen it in church history, and we've experienced many of us in our own lives seeing some who have walked away from God. And it's a warning to each one of us to guard our hearts and not be allowed to be drawn away from a place of safety in our relationship to Him. Isaiah chapter 44 talks about how, how foolish it is to walk away from God. It talks about how a man goes and he plants a tree and he watches the tree grow. He waters the tree and it grows and pretty soon it gets big enough and he chops it down. And with the wood he chops down, he, he, he takes some of that wood and, and he builds a fire and he warms himself. And Oh, this is nice. Look, this is the wood I built. Uh, this is the, the tree I planted. And now I'm warming myself with this fire that I built with the wood. And then he says, then he takes part of that same tree and he carves for himself an idol. And he says, this is my God. How nonsensical is that? The same tree that, that you've used to build a fire, to warm yourself and to cook food, now you're using as an idol. It's just a reminder just a reminder to take heed lest we find ourselves with an evil heart of unbelief and walk away from God. There's a man by the name of Robert Robertson. And Robert had a tendency of wondering. In fact, I've read that he studied to become a barber, but he didn't do too well because he wanted to spend too much time out playing with the kids. But under George Whitfield's ministry, Robert 
was converted. And Robert went on to become a minister of the Word of God. And on one occasion, Robert was riding in a stagecoach. This was at a time in which he had walked away from the Father. He, he had walked away from God. And he, as he's riding in the stagecoach, he's there with a, a, another woman, and the woman is reading a hymn book. And she comes across one hymn in particular. And she says to Robert, listen to this hymn. Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy praise. She reads a little further where the hymn goes on to speak about how when he was a stranger, God saved him. The hymn goes on to speak about how he longed to, to have his heart so riveted to God that, that he would be his delight and, and he would walk with him. And she goes on to speak about how there's even a part here about prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. But, but it's obvious the hymn writer didn't want to leave this God. Robert looked at the woman and said, I, I don't want to hear anymore. But the woman kept talking about this hymn. And finally Robert said to her, Madam, I am the unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago. And I would give a thousand worlds to enjoy the feeling I had then. Robert Robinson was the man who wrote the hymn that we just sang, who by and by walked away from God. And here in chapter 13 of Deuteronomy, Moses warns his hearers specifically about certain enticement that if not guarded, can cause our loyalty and devotion to God to diminish. There is in this chapter a charge given for unwavering loyalty to the true and the living God. Yahweh causes people to cling to Him in absolute loyalty and devotion and by so doing escape punishment. And so notice with me these three enticements that Moses sets before the people on this occasion. First of all, there's the enticement of religion. The enticement of religion. Follow as I read the first five verses. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder... And the sign and the wonder comes true concerning which He spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods whom you have not known, and let us serve them. 
You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your, and with all your soul. And you shall follow the Lord your God and fear Him. You shall keep His commandments, listening to His voice, serve Him and cling to Him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has counseled rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery to seduce you from the ways in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk, so you shall purge the evil from among you. So here Moses says there's going to be the enticement of religion. Moses, no doubt, has in mind here the idea of false prophets who's going to come along. He's thinking about those men who've been entrusted with being God's spokesmen, who bear His name. These are false prophets. They are dreamers of dreams. No doubt, they would be quite winsome. They, they would have a knack of being able to capture your attention, to, to cause you to listen to what they have to say. It goes on to say that they will even perform wonders and signs. They will do some miraculous things. You, you'll stand there with your mouth open wide. Wow! But Moses says no matter how persuasive he speaks, no, no matter how impressive his actions may be, he's to be judged by the words he speaks. And Moses says in particular, that he's going to be saying, let us, verse 2, go after other gods whom you have not known and let us serve them. You're going to go into this land and when you arrive there, you'll find out that these people have different gods. And some of them are quite winsome. You'll look at some of them and say, wow, we need a God like that. I want a God that I can worship in this way. That they have a God that they can actually see. It has ears, though it cannot hear. It has eyes, though it cannot see. It has a mouth, though it cannot speak. But, but at least there's an object there. And curiosity is, is perhaps going to be something that will seek to entice you to Go after those things. Consider those things. Worship those things. Their gods may not demand the same thing of you that Yahweh demands. And so the temptation is to follow after them. Follow after them. And the same is true in our days. Prophets come, so-called prophets come in various ways. And with various words. But Peter tells us in Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 1 
but false prophets also arose from among the people. Just as there will also be false teachers among you who secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the Master who bought them, being swift, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Peter warns us. There will be false prophets. And notice what he says. False prophets among you who began teaching heresy. But, but it sounds good. And you might be tempted to follow after that. It, it, it's a reminder to each one of us that, that what is declared from this pulpit is not the all in all. But you need to examine the Scriptures to see if these things be so. Jesus warns in Matthew 24, For there shall rise up false Christ and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. What a warning. There's going to be false prophets among you. And they're going to do some things that, that if it were possible, would even lead the elect away from God. And then he says, Behold, I have told you before, beforehand. So, you know, this is a call for each one of us to study and know and apply the Word of God to our lives. We need to know the Scriptures. We, we need to read this. We need, as Proverbs says, to buy the truth and sell it not. We need to be in God's Word. And follow that. So there's the enticement of religion. Secondly, there's the enticement of relationships. Relationships. Look there, starting at verse 6. If your brother, your mother's son, or your son or daughter, or your wife that you cherish... Or your friend who is as your own soul entice you secretly, saying, Let us go and serve other gods whom neither you nor your fathers have known. Of the gods of the people who are around you, near you, or far from you, from one end of the earth to the other, you shall not yield to him or listen to him, and your eyes shall not pity him, nor shall, you, nor shall you spare or conceal him. But you shall surely kill him. Your hand shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterwards the hand of all the people. For you shall stone him to death because he has sought to seduce you from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land out of, out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. Then all Israel will hear and be afraid and will never do such a wicked thing among you. Here he reminds us of a second enticement. It's a relationship. It's a relationship. And may I say it this way? It is the closest of relationships. And even with the wording that Moses uses, 
He's not talking about a distant cousin. He's talking about those humans that you're closest to can be a snare to you to lead you away from the place of safety. So he says, notice what the language, the brother of your mother's son. Did you find that strange? Well, if he's my mother's son, he must be my brother, doesn't but, but, but I, I think he's using this terminology to speak about the, the, the close bond that you have with that sibling. It, it, it's your mother's son. And then he goes on and he speaks about sons and daughters. In, any parent, I trust, that's worth anything ha, has a wonderful relationship to their sons and daughters. I, I tell people all the time that, that our children can be our greatest delight and blessing, but at times they can be our biggest heartache. We love our children. When they hurt, we hurt. We love to see them growing. We, we love to see them becoming independent and starting their own family. That's my son. That's, that's my daughter. I thought about adding grandsons and granddaughters, but that would be adding to the text. But I, I think the point's there, right? That close relationship. And then, oh, the wife. And it's interesting. It's the wife you cherish. Now, does that mean there's a wife that I don't cherish? No, I think he's saying... Every man ought to cherish his wife. She ought to be a treasure. You love her dearly. And you want to see her prosper. And you want to live your life together and enjoy life together. She is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. There's no human relationship that I have that's any closer than the relationship I have to my wife. I cherish her. She's that treasure. But she can be an enticement to lead you away from God. Don't let that happen. And then friendship. I love this definition of friendship. Did you notice it? He says, or a friend who is as your own soul. A friend who is as your own soul. You're bonded together. I, I pray, I hope, I, I pray that that you have such friendships. I, I cherish my friendships. That they are real gifts that God's given to me and and in many ways, I would say of some of those friends of mine that, that they are as my own soul. We're close. But they can entice me away from God. All these are sources in which the temptation may come to pull us away from, from God. 
And what Moses is saying is, dear people, you need to have an inflexible commitment to God. You must have a a loyal and sincere and genuine cleaving to God Almighty. And if you do that, realize this may cause division in some of the closest relationships that you have. You may have family members, you may have dear, dear friends who who don't mind a little bit of your religion. Just don't become fanatical. Don't become so committed to God Almighty that everything you do is determined by what will God say? What does God think? Will this help me in my relationship to God? Or will this be a hindrance? Even though this suggestion comes from a dear friend who I love with all my heart, or even from my wife who I cherish, if it draws me away from God, then the answer is no. I'm committed to Him above everything else. Isn't that why Jesus Christ says, unless you hate mother and father, Sister, even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. God wants sincere, genuine, wholehearted relationship with Him above any other relationship. Matthew 10, verses 35 to 37 says, For I came to set a man at variance against his father and his daughter, against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's foe shall be, a man's foe, foes they shall be, they of his own household. He that loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So I remember one time somebody coming and saying, Pastor, are you saying we ought to hate our children? I ought to... No, that's not what he's saying. We're commanded to love our wives. We're co- commanded to, to teach our children and to embrace them. But what he's saying is God needs to have a place of priority, even over those close relationships. Are you... Are you prepared to love Yahweh more than any of them? Are you prepared to love Yahweh more than you love your son, your wife, the friend who you're at one with? Do you love Him above everything else? And somebody may be saying, that's fanatical. Well, that's what God calls us to. And so your issue isn't with me. Please don't feel like you've got to confront me. Your issue is with God. And finally, there is the enticement of society. The enticement of society. And I believe this final example is given to us to show us how large this issue can become if there's a failure to stop people from turning us away from God. Notice what we read here, verse 12. 
If you hear in one of your cities, which the Lord your God is giving you to live in, anyone saying that some worthless men have gone out from among us you and have seduced the inhabitants of their cities, saying, Let us go and serve other gods whom you have not known. Then you shall investigate and search out and inquire thoroughly if it is true that the matter established that this abomination has been done among you, you shall surely strike the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying it and all that is in it, and the cattle with the edge of the sword. And then you shall gather all the booty into the middle of its open square and burn the city and all its booty with fire as a whole burnt offering to the Lord your God, and you shall be... And it shall be in ruin forever, and it shall never be rebuilt. Nothing from that which is put under the ban shall cleave to your hand in order that the Lord may turn from His burning anger and show mercy to you and have compassion on you and make you increase just as He has sworn to your fathers. If you will listen to the voice of the Lord your God, keeping all His commandments which I am commanding you today and doing what is right in the sight of the Lord your God. So here's a whole city. Here's a whole city that has fallen and been moved away from God. And there there needs to be an entire cutting off of that city. Even the booty, even, even the things of that city are to be burnt and destroyed. Because what started out with maybe a false prophet was then allowed to grow and grow and grow like a cancer. And pretty soon a whole city is affected by seeking other gods, following after other gods. The order is for complete destruction. And the destruction was to be absolute. Absolute. So here we have three examples that Moses gives to them. There's false religion. There is relationships. And there can be a whole society that can affect you if you're not careful to guard your heart when they seek to entice you away from the living God. Well, what's the remedy? What's the remedy? And you'll be pleased to know. I think you'll be pleased. Maybe you won't. You'll be pleased to know that I, I want to say several things with regard to the remedy and recognizing, I, I try to be sensitive, thinking it would be hot, And so what I want to do is just set before you in general ways the remedy to all this. But then this afternoon, I want to give you specific ways in which you can guard your heart. All right? So with uplifted hand, I promise you'll be here. No, I'm not going to ask you to do that. But this afternoon, we'll take up the specific ways that Moses directs us on how we need to guard our hearts and our relationship with God. But let me just mention in a general way what Moses has told them to do. Number one, he's told them to rid themselves from the evil. To take radical steps 
radical steps to remove themselves from evil. Did did you notice that? Look at verse 5. But the prophet or the dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has counseled the rebel against the Lord your God who brought you from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery to seduce you in the way of from the way in which the Lord your God has commanded you to walk, so you shall purge the evil from among you. Don't play with it. Don't dabble with it. Don't see how far you can go with it. I mean, Jesus puts it this way. Cut out. Cut out right eyes and and cut off right hands. It would be better to go to heaven maim than it would be to have everlasting punishment. Take radical steps. Don't play with these things. Don't flirt with them. But remove the evil from you. Now, I'm not going to take time. We're not going to send it. We're not, we're not going to put anybody to death. Okay? We don't have that authority any longer. We're not a theocracy. All right? But, but, but I believe what he's saying here is this. You take it seriously. And you deal with it radically. And cut it off. Cut it off. That's the first thing he tells us. And then secondly, he tells us that we're to cling, and we'll get into this more this afternoon, we're to cling to the Lord our God. We're to cling to Him. To be committed to Him, sincerely devoted to Him. Not allow anything that would move us away from following after Him. These two things. So dear people, this is a real warning. It's sad to think about, but someone who's sitting among us even this morning could be an instrument that will break our hearts because they could walk away from God. The warning is real. And you may be saying, well, pastor, I thought once saved, always saved. Once saved, always saved is correct. But these warnings are real. Remember remember the parable of the sower? And some of the seed fell upon that ground where where, where there were weeds and, 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 well, no, it fell, especially it fell upon the soil that had the rock underneath it. And so the, the, the plant landed in the soil and it started growing and it looked so good, but after a while it withers and dies. It, it even uses this language, they believed for a while, but then they withered and died because they had no depth of earth. They had no root. The writer of Hebrews warns us over and over and over again to the reality of, 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 of taking heed lest we fall away from the living God. Dear people, we've seen it happen. And this isn't, this isn't to make you doubt. It's to help you to stand and guard your heart. Don't let go of Christ. Continue serving Him and living for Him till the very end. These aren't warnings. I, I think when I preach through the book of Hebrews, I use the illustration, you know, 
<clears throat> around here, we're not really instructed with regard to how to deal with a hurricane. All right? You won't see on our streets hurricane evacuation route because there's no hurricanes. How, how foolish it would be to give us the warning about hurricanes here in Michigan. Tornadoes? Oh, yeah, we've already had the warnings. What Tornadoes are a reality here. We need to be warned. Well, my friends, God's not giving us this warning because it's not possible. He's not giving us this warning just playing games. I, I'm going to give you this warning, but it's never going to happen because, no, no, it's a warning we need to take heed to, lest we fall away. So how do we do that? This afternoon, we'll take a few moments and just consider those things together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we thank you for the warnings that your scripture gives to us and how we pray that we might take heed to them. I mean, here, 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 here's a people that were redeemed out of slavery. And yet the possibility of them falling away was real. And here we are, a people who've been redeemed from our sins and, and the possibility of falling away is real if we don't guard our hearts. And so help us to guard our hearts above everything else. Help us to take heed to our walk with You and to honestly examine our own heart and life. So Father, we pray that we would take these words and, and You would do a good work within us and bring glory and honor to Yourself as we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in closing, take your hymns of grace. Hymns of grace, 420. 420. A charge to keep I have, a God to glorify who gave His Son my soul to save and fit it for the skies. Final verse, help me to watch and pray and still on Thee rely. Oh, let me not my trust betray, but press to realms on high. 420. If you're able, let's